Welcome. Glad you guys are all here. If you are visiting with us, we are honored that you are, are here. I'm Pastor Bill, and I have the privilege of sharing from the Word of God for... Um, we get to do this each week, and one of the reasons that worship is powerful is because it pulls us out of, you know, whatever's going on in our life and has us remember what Jesus has done for us, and then we hear truths from God's Word. So, um, so would you pray with me as we get started this morning? Father in heaven, thank you for for loving us so much that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord Jesus, that you were willing to take on flesh and live among us, that we might see your glory and your grace. Holy Spirit, thank you for um, taking up residence within us so that we might become everything that God created and dreamed for us to be. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the question I want to start out with this morning is, who are you? Not your name, not what you do not what you're studying. Who are you in the core of your being? What is most true about you? We, um, we tend to think, we've, we've been talking in this series of sermons about the old nature and the old self and the new nature and the new self. And we tend to think that that talking about the self is something kind of new for, for our age. And, you know, we wonder whether there's some psychobabble mixed in there. But I want to read you some quotes of some spiritual writers across the centuries and what they say about knowing our truest self. First one is Augustine, writing in 400 A.D., um, probably the greatest theologian of his age. In the Confessions, he wrote... How can we draw close to God when we are far from our own self? He had a famous prayer where he prayed, Grant, God, that I may know myself so that I might know thee. Meister Eckhart was a Dominican writer in the 13th century, and he wrote, No one can know God who does not first know themselves. Teresa of Avila, a very godly woman, writing in, the, in 1577, a book she wrote called The Way of Completeness. She wrote, Almost all problems in the spiritual life stem from a lack of self-knowledge. That's not the way we tend to think. We think that, oh, it must stem from a lack of knowledge of God. But in the church, we probably have more knowledge of God in this generation then we have knowledge of ourselves. And the last one I'll read for you is John Calvin, and this is in his introduction to the Institutes of the Christian Religion. And Calvin wrote, Our wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of the knowledge of ourselves. And he goes on and says, But as these are connected together by many ties... It's not easy to determine 
which of the two precedes and gives birth to the other? So how well do you know yourself? Who are you in the core of your being? In the sermon series of Going Back to Go Forward, all of this talk about finding our, becoming new creations and finding our new self and our true self is rooted in an understanding of the Christian life that God wants to transform everything within us. He wants to redeem all that is broken, every, every piece of it, so that we might live in the fullness of the joy that Jesus came for us to receive. These sermons are, are rooted in, in a desire really in the heart of God that within each one of us there would be streams of living water that would flow from our very souls. So in this third and final talk in this series, I want to share with you, um, first, followers of Jesus know the critical importance of the inner being. And I'll read you some scriptures on that in just a moment. That's going to be the first point. Followers of Jesus know the critical importance of the inner being. And the second thing I want to talk to you about is that followers of Jesus pay diligent attention to their inner being, what's going on within them. So first, followers of Jesus know the critical importance of the inner being. You know that there are philosophies out there, there are are theories of what man is that say that man is just a biological creature no more. And Christianity stands so firmly that we are both physical and spiritual. Christianity doesn't denigrate the physical. It doesn't say the physical is not important. The scriptures say the body is for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. But Christianity puts an overwhelming emphasis on the heart, the soul, the inner person. There are 383 verses in the Bible that talk about the heart and the soul and the inner being. Whatever term we want to use to describe it, and that gets way too complicated for us to get into for today's sermon, whether you want to use soul, whether you want to use spirit or heart or inner being or inner person, we know as Christians that this matters, that everything we are emerges out of who we are at the core. Biblical Christianity encourages us, Proverbs 4.23 Above all else, guard your heart, for the heart is the wellspring of life. Above all else, guard your inner being. Know the terrain of your soul, because out of who you are comes the life that God wants you to have. Jesus says in Matthew 16, what good is it for a person if they gain the whole world but lose their soul? So over and over and over and over again in the scriptures, we are told that God is is paying attention to our hearts. God is testing our spirits. God is, is seeing whether our hearts are divided or whether they are whole and integrated and complete. So I want to stack some scriptures up for you. And, you know, God only has to say it once for it to be true. But I want to stack these scriptures because I want you to, to kind of have a building understanding of how much this matters. First Chronicles 28, the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind our thoughts. Proverbs 20, the light of the Lord searches the spirit of a person. It searches out the inmost 
being. Proverbs 17. The crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, the Lord tests the heart. Jeremiah 17. I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. 1 Corinthians 4. The Lord will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of people's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. 1 Thessalonians, we do not try to please men, but God who tests our hearts. And then the last one, Hebrews chapter 4, familiar to many of you, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Scriptures remind us time and time and over and over and over again that God is paying attention to each of our hearts and our souls and our inner being. Secondly, the scriptures teach us that it is our inner being in our spirit where the Holy Spirit of God dwells. When we come to Christ, when we confess our sins, ask to be forgiven, and ask Jesus to become the leader of our life, the scriptures tell us that the Holy Spirit of God comes and lives within us so that God isn't far, far off. God is within us by his spirit. In Ezekiel, God said he would do this. God said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your old heart of stone and give you a new heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He, God anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us and put the spirit in our hearts. And again in Galatians 4, 6, God sent the spirit of his son into, his heart, into our hearts. All right, it is in this core of, of who we are that the spirit comes and then influences and nudges and reminds us of truth and convicts us of sin. And when the Spirit of God is within our spirit, he wants to shed God's light on everything that is part of our past, our present, and our future. All right, that's the first point. Followers of Jesus know the critical importance of our inner being. Second point, followers, at least growing followers of Jesus pay diligent attention to their inner being. Growing followers of Jesus, pay attention, because they know that it is that important, that our heart is a wellspring of life. We are, are paying the most attention we can possibly pay to our inner world, our inner being, to our spirits, our souls, and our hearts. And so this morning, I want to give you four questions to ask to go back and deal with things in our past so that we can go forward with Christ in the fullness of life that he has for us. Four questions to ask to pay diligent attention to our souls. And so um, I've done this exercise with 50 to 75 of you one-on-one, so some of you will recognize this as a go-to tool that I use for us to go back and deal with whatever is holding us back 
so we can go forward with Christ. And so the illustration here is a classic iceberg illustration. You know it's, you know, it's used in a lot of places. We, we can see maybe 10%, maybe a little bit more of that above the waterline. And what's below the waterline is the majority that we can't see. So below the waterline would be our heart, our soul, our inner person. Above the waterline is what we can see in our lives. We can't transform what's below the waterline. We can't even see it. Only the Spirit of God has the power to transform our spirits. But there are things that we can do above the waterline to create space for the Spirit of God to transform us. So the first question in paying attention to our souls is this. What is coming out of my life? What is coming out of me? Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, the good person brings good things out of the good stored up in their heart. And the evil person brings evil out of the evil stored up in their heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So Jesus says nothing can ever come out of us that isn't inside of us. Anger can't come out of us if it's not inside of us. Lust can't come out out of us if it's not inside of us. Bitterness can't come out of us. Um, just, just prejudice can't come out of us. Treating people badly can't come out of us unless there's something in our soul that is pushing that out or allows it to happen. So, if we want to be growing deeply as Christians for the rest of our lives, we pay attention to things like every word that comes out of our mouth because we can only have it come out of our mouth if it's rooted, if there's something in our souls. We pay attention to our triggers. Triggers are when something happens to us and we react in a way that is clearly more powerful than the situation deserved. All right? Most people have their triggers hit and they blame and get mad at the people around them. But in actuality, something can't trigger us unless there's unresolved business that hasn't been taken care of inside of us. So we are supposed to love each other enough to be sensitive to each other's triggers, but we're supposed to own our own triggers. When something triggers us, let's pay attention to that. We pay attention as Christians to our emotions, the good, the bad, and the ugly, because once again, our emotions are revealing what's going on in our soul. And if we pay attention, then we can actually do something about it. We pay attention to our anger, to our lust, to our fears, to our anxieties, and our stresses. Stagnated and immature Christians, when stuff comes out of them, they blame other people or they deny it. And so they stay stuck. Growing Christians actually listen really well. They know the their own selves, they know the terrain of their own souls, they know and pay attention to what's coming out of them. So growing um, Christians, when we have trust issues, where we know that we can't make ourselves vulnerable to be in deep relationship with people, we pay attention to that and we bring it before the Holy Spirit and we say, Holy Spirit, is there anything that I've not finished that you want to work on here? We bring our fears of failure our fears of abandonment, and our fears of inadequacy. And we ask, where's that come from inside? Holy Spirit, what do you want to transform that I haven't found yet? 
when we get angry at our parents or our siblings or when we have destructive conflict with brothers and sisters in Christ or in our marriages, that tells us something going on inside of us. When we are too driven or too passive, that tells us about our soul. When we get on this treadmill of performance, that is a flashing red light that there is something inside of us that's trying to get approval or trying to find our validity in what we do and not in who we are in Christ. When we get too worried about what other people think about us, we bring that to the Holy Spirit and ask him to work on it. Everything that comes out becomes a window, a microscope for knowing our own selves and our own souls. So the first thing to do, to go back, to go forward, is to pay careful, quit making excuses, quit denying, quit ignoring. You know, the next time you get drunk or get high or, or have sex or, or just wound your, your, your brothers in Christ or sisters in Christ, pay attention. Because how else will the Spirit be able to work with us unless we bring these things up and offer them to the Lord? Second question, explores now why those things are coming out of us that come out of us. And the second question is, what lies might I be believing that is pushing those things up out of my soul? What vows have I made or conclusions that I've drawn or lies that I believe are causing me to react in these kinds of ways. And there are so many lies that just, just seep into our, our hearts and our souls and our lives. Like, we are what we do. So therefore, we have to achieve and perform because the measure of our significance is how we perform. And that means we get on this treadmill of drivenness for decades if we don't bring that before the Lord. And then not only do we have to stay on this this treadmill of performance, but we have to make sure that our children get the right education and that they get on this treadmill of performance too. And it goes on for generations. Our dysfunctions and the lies we believe go on for generations because we've not examined them. Another lie is we are what we own. Our value is based on how much money we make, which means the education we got, so we make lots of money, so we can go on good vacations and buy good stuff. And somehow, our whole culture wants to tell us that your value is based on your possessions. A third lie that is easy to seep into our souls is we are what people think of us. You know that's not true, right? We are who we are regardless of what people think of us. But if we've bought that lie that what people think of us defines us, then we have to be on this constant, this constant duty to, to watch our image and make sure that people are, are seeing us the way we think that they're supposed to see us. When the scriptures say what really matters is what God thinks of us, not what people... But that is so embedded within us. And many of the lies and the vows and conclusions that we've drawn about life, they just they made perfect sense when we were children when we were, were young. But if we don't go back and reassess those and name them as lies, we can live them out for decades. And we can live them through our family for generations. Maybe the reason that we're performance-driven is because as children we believe that we're only loved when we excelled. 
Maybe we're control freaks because we got hurt at some point. We came to this conclusion that if we just had enough control, then we wouldn't be hurt again. Maybe we don't lean into friendship when we're struggling because at some point we came to the conclusion that no one would ever be with us in our times of pain. Maybe we believe that if people really knew us, they would reject us. So we have to hide and we have to make sure that people only hear things that are good when in actuality what matters most isn't what people see, it's what God sees. If we don't go back and name the lies, they will drive us and they will drive our relationships and they will drive our children for decades and decades. I remember when I started doing this, when I I finally realized that the Christianity wasn't learning more about God, but was actually, you know, letting what I knew about God actually seep into the deeper parts of my soul. And by the way, We've all been around people who have been Christians for decades and they've not dealt with the inner lies and they're spewing their vomit on everybody around them. And it's terrible when they're spiritual leaders or elders or pastors or parents or people that we look up to because we look at their life and we hear them talking about spiritual things and we look at their life and say, hell no. And we've all seen that. If we don't deal with our lies, we become that. And our children will say that about us as well. So I remember when I first started working on this, it was really hard. Some of the, I, I could see the stuff. I finally started seeing the stuff and admitting, yes, this is Bill. He's got junk that's coming out of him. Marriage, by the way, smokes a lot of that out for us. Um, but I finally said, okay, this is me. And I had such a hard time identifying the lies that I was believing. And you might have a hard time as well. This is where we get together in community. We find our spiritual friends and we say, all right, this is coming up again and again and again and again. Can you help me see something in me that some conclusion I've drawn that's not true that's pushing this out of my soul? And with the, you know, with the help of Marla and some really good spiritual friends, and I had a counselor at one point who said, Bill, quit hiding. These things are here. Let's find out where they're coming from. I was able to name some of the lies that I was believing in my life. And I want to encourage you. This sounds scary to go backwards and deal with the past stuff to go forward. But I want to tell you guys, this is one of the most freeing things that you can do. And if you can make this a a pattern in your spiritual life across the decades of your walk with God, you will have more and more joy in your life. You will have a greater and greater influence on the lives of others. You will, the Second Corinthians 3.18 says, you will become like Jesus with ever-increasing glory. Your life will become more and more glorious. All right, so we pay attention to what's coming out of our lives, and then we ask, why? Where is this coming from? What lies might I be believing? But we have to go to the next step, because all we've done now is name the problem. And so the third question that we ask is, what truths must I believe? What truths must I believe? Jesus said that when we know the truth, the truth will set us free from the lies, from the vows, from the conclusions. So what truths must I believe? And I encourage people to, to you know, make a list of one or two or three of their lies. Sometimes I do this with people, and like we, we can come up with five or six. Sometimes we come up with two or three, and that's all we're supposed to work on at that point in time. So figure out what the lies are, 
and then write what are the corresponding truths that defeat those lies. For instance, if you're at all tempted to believe that, you are the, that your possessions define you, that how much money you make defines you, that success is wrapped up in your, your physical belongings, then we go to the scriptures, and it's amazing how often we will find the exact words of Jesus kind of unmasking our lies and giving us truths. But we go to the scriptures, and we find Luke chapter 12, verse 15, where Jesus says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of grief. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And we find that there's a truth to counteract that lie that is pushing these, 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 dr- this drivenness out of us where we have to make more money and always take the next promotion or, um, or go to the next school. If that doesn't convince us, then we keep looking and we listen to Jesus tell us the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Or we listen to Jesus tell the story of the rich young ruler. Or we listen to Jesus talk about the, the man whose barns were full and he said, I'm just going to eat, drink, and be merry. And then God held him accountable. I don't know what your conclusions are going to be. I don't know what your lies are. We all have them, by the way, because we, we just, we're in a broken world. So we pick them up along the way. I don't know what yours are, but I want to encourage you, do the work of immersing in Scripture to find the truths that counteract the lies that push the wrong things out of your life. Now, most of us feel guilty that we don't read the Bible enough. And I have a theory that one of the reasons we, we don't read the Bible enough, because we probably don't, is because we're trying to do it because we feel like it's a duty. I want to encourage you to stop reading the Bible as a duty. Maybe you read the Bible because you want to find the truths of God that will set you free then there's a reason to do it more than just I'm supposed to, but that I get to. So Colossians 3, verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Once again, you could get stuck. You could, could, you could know the lie. Maybe you, you get that far, and you just can't find the truth. So get to a pastor, get to your, your small group leader, get to some people who know you well, and you know what? Search the scriptures together for the liberating truths of God. All right, last question. Um, this is the going forward part of um, going back to go forward. The last question is, what spiritual practices must I do. Have you ever noticed that, that you discover a new truth from the scriptures? You hear, hear a, a, a teaching or you read something and you discover a new truth and it gives you this burst of energy in your life and things that you struggle with kind of drop off and you have this kind of victorious kind of a season. But then after a little bit, it kind of wears off and you slide back to the old lies. So when I first realized that that was something that I watched in my life and the lives of others, I was a little too cocky, and I said, what's up with that, God? I thought your truth was supposed to have power. What's the deal? I'm just sliding back into my old junk. That's when the Lord showed me that when Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, that wasn't just you read something or heard some point in a sermon. That knowing the truth is an experiential knowledge where that truth is woven into your life. So the fourth question we ask is what spiritual practices do I need to do that reinforce that truth and weave that truth into my life 
to counteract those lies so that different things come out of me? What spiritual practices do I need to do? Now, I talk a lot about spiritual disciplines, and there are general spiritual disciplines that every single one of us should be doing. Weekly worship is a spiritual discipline that we ought to make part of our life. The reading scripture, prayer, doing justice, being in community, those are general spiritual disciplines that we all ought to do. What I'm talking about here, though, is not a general spiritual discipline. I'm talking about you figuring out designer spiritual disciplines just for your situation, just for you. They may not ever work for anybody else, but it's a designer. It's, it's the difference between going to the gym and just doing the routine that's on the signs around the wall and going to the gym and having somebody design a specific kind of series of exercises for you. All right? I think that we should, part of our growing up in the Lord, is we should find our designer spiritual practices that we do on a daily or a weekly basis or at least a regular cycle so that the truths that we need to hear above all else to counteract our lies can have the power to be ongoing in our lives. Now, I've I got bunches of these that I've kind of made up over the years. Um, and I've shared with you um, in some settings one of them, but I probably share it more than any others. Um, but I... I grew up not knowing how to receive love. There's all kinds of reasons for it, and counselors have helped me. Marla's the first one who pointed it out, and I, I had to realize, oh, yeah, that's coming out of me. So, and, and I figured out a lie that I believed was that I wasn't important enough for people to go out of their way and love me. That's where you're all supposed to go, oh. I really did. As a kid, I came to the conclusion that I wasn't significant enough to be loved. So I don't know what to do when people try to love on me. You know, I just kind of get nervous. I kind of push it back. I'm really good at, at distracting, okay, throwing up a smoke. Tree. I have all kinds of ways not to receive love. Um, but I realized that I had that lie. And so one of my, one of my counselors was sitting with, with Marla and I. We were talking with him together. And he said, Bill, what's the pearl of great price for you? And right away out of my mouth, I said, the pearl of great price for me would be to know that I am completely and perfectly loved. I didn't even think about it. It just came out. And, um, and that night, um, I went outside. We were living in Minnesota. And there was a full moon. And these thoughts got connected for me. Pearl of great price, the visual full moon. And he had just told me I had to find some designer spiritual practices. And I thought... Here's one of my practices. Every time I see the moon as the pearl of great price, I will stop, take a deep breath, and I will say, thank you, Father in heaven, for loving me perfectly and completely. And I take another deep breath. Guys, it can be 10 below zero, and I'll be standing out there looking up... (laughs) But I've been doing this spiritual practice for decades, and here's how it's changed me. When I had a deficit of love that I didn't know how to receive, I either didn't have love to share very freely, or when I did, it was so that people would love me back. In this spiritual practice, I've let the Lord's love fill my soul, so I have so much love to give, and it doesn't matter whether I get love back. 
because I'm doing out of the fullness of the love that God has poured into me. All right, I don't know what your lies are, but I think that you can find those spiritual practices as well. Another one, I, from time to time, I, I go for walks with God in the woods. When I am off-centered, I just can't figure out something. Sometimes I do it just because I'm, I'm rejoicing, but, but when I am off-center, I know that I need to go for a 40-minute walk with God in the woods. And the first 20 minutes is just Bill vomiting all his junk, right? But I know after 20 minutes that I'll finally be empty enough to start receiving from the Lord. What spiritual practices do you need to do to reinforce the specific truths that you need in your life to counteract the lies so that different things come out? And it works. And the reason it works is because the Spirit of God is in your soul wanting to bring these things out so that he can redeem them and heal them and make you powerful where you've been broken I think of, did any of you um, hear Gwyneth Paltrow yesterday talking about the Me Too thing and how she was 13 in the, all right, so, so she was talking about when she was 13 and, um, and, you know, in movies and how at 13 years old, she had to read articles about people talking about the growth of her breasts as a sex object. And she drew some conclusions. She said, I've got to protect myself, so I've got to get into this bubble of safety, and I can't let people in. And I read that, and I thought, that's exactly what the world does to us. It damages us, and we draw these vows and conclusions that only the power of the Holy Spirit can redeem and heal. And when that happens in us and among us, we become different people, and we become a different community And the world will look up and say, something about those people who hang out with Jesus is something that I want. But we've got to go back to go forward. So, the four questions. First of all, before the question, do you realize the critical importance of your inner being as a follower of Jesus? Then the four questions. Will you continually go back and pay attention to what comes out of you? Always, always, always. No more excuses, no more ignoring, no more denying, no more blaming. And will you look and find what false conclusions and lies you might be believing? Number three, will you find the truths and have truth encounters that weave into your life? And will you design spiritual practices for you? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that that you didn't just kind of paper over the brokenness in our, in our souls. But Spirit, you enter into the very center of it. Thank you that, that there are glorious things that are coming out of each of our lives because, Holy Spirit, you live within us. Thank you for, Jesus, thank you for the power of the cross whereby we are forgiven and no longer defined by our sins. Thank you for the power of truth. Thank you, Father, for giving us your word so that we can immerse and know the truth that will set us free. Thank you that 
while every single one of us comes from some forms of brokenness, we've all picked up stuff from our families of origin. We picked up stuff from our parents. We picked up stuff just from our ethnicity, just being Asians in America or African-Americans in America or Hispanic or Caucasians. We pick up stuff around that too. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you love us so, so, so much that you will redeem all of that and give us a greater power to be who we're supposed to be and make the difference that we're supposed to make. Thank you, Father, for the power of worship where we can be reminded week after week and, and in between Sundays as we're singing praise songs, we're just reminded that you are there for us completely. Thank you that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Help us live into the freedom that you have for us. Finally, Father, thank you for the power of baptism because you give us this this symbol of dying with Christ in baptism so that we can be raised with him in newness of life. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.